Hey, what a great morning, right? What a good morning. Um, I, I'm going I'm to say something to you that makes it an even better morning this morning. Uh, it is that this today, church, we are kicking off, wait for it, our 20th book of the Bible together. That is incredible. It's our 20th book that we're going to journey through verse by verse. It, this is going to be a good book. Um, we already have it put on the ornament for 2021. Um, so the ornament this year, is it's a sled. Um, there you go. I just ruined the surprise for you. It's a sled, um, but it's going to be awesome. And it already has the book of Habakkuk on it. And so uh, you can go ahead and be turning to the book of Habakkuk, if you will, in, in your Bible um, or on your phone. There's a couple of ways. Like right now you're super nervous because you're like, whoa, now where on earth is Habakkuk? Um, if you make it to Matthew, you can go backwards five books. That would be one way that you could get there. Uh, maybe another way that you could get there that's... I don't know why people get embarrassed of looking at the commentary, at the, uh, at the table of contents. It's there for you. Uh, look at the table of contents. Or you can use the old thumb method. I'll use the, the pulpit Bible here. You just kind of you know, start fiddling through it. Um, if you hit some names like Obadiah and Amos and Nahum, you're really close. Um, so you can find it several different ways. But I can't think of a better book to commemorate our 20th book of the Bible together. It's just a fun name to say in and of itself, right? I mean, Habakkuk. Uh, as a matter of fact, look to the person you're right or left to give them a Habakkuk, if you will. Look at your favorite person. Now apologize for spitting on them. You know, now you can turn to your second favorite person and say Habakkuk to them. And apologize to them for calling them your second favorite person. But, um, now we've just kind of get... This book really is amazing. Um, there are two dangers if we don't understand the history of this book. Two dangers really fast. Number one, if we don't understand the history first, we'll be prone to cherry pick. Cherry picking happens all over churches, all over America. It just will not happen here at Safe Haven. Uh, what I mean by that is this. You can go to Habakkuk, and literally the next chapter is going to read this way. I'm doing a work in your day uh, that you wouldn't believe if I told you. That's a great verse. It's a true verse. And a lot of people will get to just kind of cherry-pick that verse and then wrap a series around, because God's doing something great, you can trust Him at your work and trust Him in your home and trust Him here and trust Him... We don't... It has a context. So if we don't understand the history, we'll, we'll cherry-pick... And then number two, if we don't understand the history, then we really won't know Scripture. And isn't that the goal of the church? To teach each other and to learn Scripture? I mean, if you go to chemistry class, you don't want to walk away learning how to garden. Like, that just doesn't make sense. Uh, so we want you to walk away knowing the Scriptures. We want you to walk away, and that's why we need to kind of do a little fun history lesson, if you will. Um, I've got this handy-dandy, fancy little remote, Johnny. <laughs> you like it. And I'm not sure it's going to work. We'll try it. it there we go. Uh, so let's just do a little history lesson to catch us up to the book of Habakkuk, all right? Number one, creation. So you just said, this brother said history, and we went all the way back to Adam and Eve. Well, you have to to understand. Man was created. Um, after the man was created, we know that mankind had a fall, right? After the fall, God immediately grants grace. He, he slaughters an animal to clothe man. Uh, so if anybody says, God doesn't seem very gracious in the Old Testament, take them back to Adam and Eve right off the bat. God is super gracious. 
And then out of that, Israel is chosen. So he's chosen a people. Now you'll get real excited. You got nervous when I went back to creation. We just covered 2,000 years of history in 15 seconds. Okay? So there's that. Now after that, we've got Egypt in exile. Uh, The people of God disobeyed, obeyed, disobeyed, obeyed, disobeyed, obeyed. And they found themselves wandering in the desert because of their disobedience. Now after that... Finally, God is gracious and He also gives them the promised land. That's where we get to the book of Joshua. So in the book of Joshua, the the nation is indeed led into the promised land. They get the land that they've always been told was theirs. Um, So Joshua takes them home. Then we have a cycle of judges. They get into the land and they just are still disobedient people. And so there's this cycle that occurs several times. They're disobedient, they're punished, then they repent, and God sends a judge. This is the famous names like Gideon, Samson, right? Uh, Deborah, some of these names. So they repent, and God sends a judge to restore them. Just for kicks and giggles and and, uh, 15,000 bonus points in your Trivial Pursuit Bible edition today as you eat at Arby's, There were 15 of these judges, 15 cycles of this happened. Um, After that, they're still ungrateful. They come across, finally, their last judge, Samuel. They come up to Samuel and they say, Samuel, everybody's got a king. Syria has a king. Chaldeans have a king. Egypt's got a pharaoh. We want a king. And God had said, I'm your king. You don't need a king. But what happens? God says, all right, I'll give you a king. So they get, get a king. That is where Saul pops into the picture. This is when you get into the Bible, you start getting into the kings. You find yourself with Saul. Saul's the first king of Israel. Saul's kind of a nut job. Um, I, that's, that's the nicest way I could put it. But then again, aren't we all? All right? So you get to Saul. Um, Saul then uh, lays his kingdom down because of some sin in his life. David picks it back up. You remember David. Um, he's got the sling. Pops Goliath, uh, conquers the Philistines. He becomes the king of Israel. David has a son. His son's name is Solomon. Solomon is awesome king. He got a little bit of a problem with women. Um, and by little, he has a big problem with women. Um, and, and so then after this, God is still gracious. He's still gracious. Uh, the temple is given. And, and so he brings in all this gold and this temple is magnificent. Israel finally gets a temple. This has to be where it all ends up great, Right? No, dog. They get more kings. Solomon has some sons. Uh, The son that takes over is Rehoboam. Rehoboam is is not the greatest of kings. Uh, He also has a servant named Jeroboam. This son and this servant have strife with one another. The land that was promised all of a sudden now is split in two. They split the nation. How could you split the promised land? And so this is what happens. Rehoboam begins to lead the south. This is Judah. Um, Jeroboam leads the north. In Israel, there are how many tribes in Israel? We all know this. Say it out loud. Twelve. There's twelve tribes, right? Um, so Judah, Rehoboam only gets two. The rest of the ten follow the servant. They go up north. Now we have a split nation. So after this, all hell breaks loose. Now I say that literally, all right? Not just to be fun and cute. All hell breaks loose in Israel. And so everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. This is where the scripture begins to repeat this often. And so what happens gets even nuttier when God rises up Assyria to conquer the northern part of Israel. Now you read that right. God rises up Assyria to conquer his own people. 
Not only that, God also allows Babylon to come and conquer the south people. Now that doesn't sound very cool, God. That don't make a lot of sense. Why would you conquer your own people, right? Now right now, hopefully you're furrowing your eyebrows going, whoa, hold on a second. That doesn't make a lot of sense. All right? Keep, stay with me. There's a plot twist here. I'm not sure why we have little g's there. Um, We must have the wrong font in. Don't, 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 don't smite us for that. We'll make sure we get that font fixed afterwards, Tyler. Remind me, all right? God then allows Babylon to come in and conquer Assyria. So Israel's still sitting there going, we're the promised people. Why does Assyria have it? Why does Babylon have it? And then the Persians conquer it, and they conquer everybody. All right? They wipe out, say it with me, everybody. All right? So the nation of Israel is sitting there going, what on earth? What are you doing? This in history is when you finally make it to the prophets. The prophets emerge. And the prophets begin to speak on behalf of the people. And so this gets to people like Jeremiah. Fun fact, if you grew up in Alabama or the cultural south, you have probably two family members that at least have one coffee cup with Jeremiah 29.11 on it. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future, right? Everybody knows this verse. If you don't have a coffee cup, you may have a a towel embroidered or something on your wall that's painted there. That has a context. Everybody loves to quote Jeremiah 29, 11. The verse right before it sets the context. And the verse right before it says, For 70 years I am going to send you into exile. Nobody claims that verse. Nobody, right? So now you need to go take that off your wall and replace it with this right here, a cup that we're going to begin selling. I'm sending you to exile for 70 years, Jeremiah 29.10. Now all of you can quote that one. We're going to sell those for $20 back in the back. Um, Bible verses that nobody puts on cups. Uh, right, so you notice that we're going to print them on paper because I'm not sure they're going to sell real well. Um, but nonetheless, that gets you to where we're at. Uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, like most, the majority of the prophets, speaks on behalf of God to the people. That's what prophets do. God sends a message, they receive the message and give it to the people. And usually this is what God says throughout the Old Testament. Hey people, y'all are morons, Right? But it comes across more like this. What you're doing doesn't make sense. Guess who is a contemporary of Jeremiah? Be confident in it. Guess who's a contemporary of Jeremiah? Habakkuk. This is awesome, isn't it? Now, he's slightly different than most prophets because he's not going to speak on behalf of God to the people. He is going to speak on behalf of the people to God. Everything I just told you before. Remember the picture of all the chaos going on. The people are looking around going, What on earth are you doing, God? We got evil kings. We got evil people conquering. Your people, literally the context of Habakkuk, your people, your nation of Israel is doing what's right in their own eyes. They're rebelling. What Religion is warped. What are you doing? And so this is where Habakkuk finds itself. And with that said, we're almost to the text. But we're not quite there just yet. For Habakkuk and the nation of Israel, it really is a WTS moment. What the scuba? I don't know what you thought I was going to use. 
Paul uses the word scubula. It's a very interesting word in the New Testament. I uh, commend it for your study. It means rubbish or refuse, and that's what's being said. Habakkuk's going, we don't understand what is going on. So with that said, I hope that was riveting for you. It was riveting for me. And I say that in in a half-joking tone because I really do hope you want to understand the history of the Bible. I hope you walk away going, okay, I know the Bible a little bit more today. That gives you the history and the context. Let's fill in a few more blanks. What's up with his name? (laughs) I mean, was his dad just choking on a lamb bone? Came up with something? The name. The name has some meanings. Habakkuk literally means uh, one who embraces and one who wrestles. Now, that kind of sounds contradictory. How could you have a hug and a wrestling match in the the same notion? Well, what we're going to find is that God did embrace Habakkuk, and Habakkuk did embrace God. They loved one another. So much so that they was uh, able to wrestle with one another in a healthy way. Man, it's true that if I walk down the street into Arby's, I don't know why we keep propping up Arby's. Let's go with another restaurant, Subway. All right? If I walk into Subway today and begin to wrestle somebody, number one, they're probably going to whoop me. But number two, it's just not going to go well. But if I begin to wrestle with Cole or Kobe, um, I would never wrestle with Macy because, anyway, you know why. Um, Or my brother, we could wrestle well because we have a relationship. Me and Nielsen could wrestle well. Well, that's what happens with Habakkuk. He does embrace, but there is a wrestling match going on throughout the book. So this is what this name means. What did he do to make himself so worthy to have this book? Well, what we're going to find out is he didn't didn't do anything. Nothing. As a matter of fact... Do you know what we know about Habakkuk other than this book? Nothing. (laughs) Squat. Nobody knows who this guy was. And that's what makes him so usable. Usable people are the most humble people. He was humble. He didn't talk about himself ever, not one time. He realized that when he died, the story would just go on. And that's what made him usable. As a matter of fact, if you look in Scripture, that's what you'll find. The people that God chooses to use are the people who say, I'll stand in the gap because I know I'm going to die and get out of the way, and you're just going to keep doing what you do. And so this is who Habakkuk was. His humility makes him useful. He didn't care if people applauded him. He just said, God, I know that your message is better than any man. And so this is who he was. You got his name. You got what made him worthy. And then... You may be asking, okay, i got a little context now. So what is the chaos that's going on? I understand that there's war, but what would be the chaos? Well, here's the chaos. There are military invasions all over the place. There's social decay. There's economic collapse. There is political change left and right with kings here, there. There's a food shortage. Not only is there a food shortage, but there's moral decline. There's just decay in morality. There's violence everywhere, and there's mass idolatry. Ladies and gentlemen, does that sound familiar? 4,000 years ago, dealing with everything that we deal with today. And so the question that comes up out of this is, how could a good God exist if there's so much evil in the world? Have you ever had that question posed to you? How could this happen? How could there be so much chaos if there is a good God? Now, I want to do do a side note really fast. I'm going to try to be fast. 
with this. Number one, that question is really only a question that theists can ask. It's only fair for somebody who believes in God to be the one who asks the question, how could a good God exist if there's so much evil in the world? I guess what I'm saying is it's totally illogical for an atheist to ever ask that question. Why would you ask a question about a God that you don't believe in? Totally illogical. So if an atheist comes up to you and says, how could a good God exist if there's so much evil? Look at him and go, oh, you believe in God now, right? It's an illogical question. It's like me going to Cole and saying, Cole, how could that pink unicorn make your room so messy? It doesn't make sense because I don't believe in pink unicorns. So it's illogical for me to get mad at a pink unicorn that doesn't exist. Now, I can walk into him and go, Cole, how can you exist and your room simultaneously be so messy? That makes logical sense. So it's only a logical question for a a believer to ask this question. Um, Now, an unbeliever can ask the question, how can so much evil exist in a world that's made by nature? If you're an atheist, you can ask that question. Why does so much evil exist in a natural world? But the answer is really simple, isn't it? Because if survival of the fittest is the means by which the world operates then evil necessarily has to exist because the stronger conquers the weaker, right? In a natural world, go with me, the blob was there. The blob was conquered by the tadpole. The tadpole was conquered by the fish. The fish was conquered by the bird. The bird was conquered by the fox. Now I've got myself in trouble because I don't know what eat foxes. The fox was eaten by the tiger. The tiger, (laughs) we just jumped straight from rural Alabama to Africa, right? The tiger is conquered by the man. The man keeps conquering one another. Therefore, in a natural world, evil exists because Hitler is right. The strongest win. That's the only thing you can come up with logically if you are an atheist. But then again, let's go back to why this makes sense today makes sense today because Habakkuk was not an atheist. He was a theist. He saw God, he believed in God, and he saw very real evil. And he was like, how can these two coexist? So the problem of evil in your philosophy class is actually a Christian question. It's a question that only theists can ask. And so Habakkuk is that. With all of that said... Are you ready for the book of Habakkuk? Hopefully now you're caught up. Habakkuk, the guy who's going to ask the question, you conquered us. We're your people. What are you doing? God, you don't seem to make a lot of sense. And that's where we find ourselves. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Let's look at this. Verse 1 says what I just said. Verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you won't hear me? Or cry to you violence, and you won't save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth. And when it goes forth, it goes forth Perverted. Does that make a little more sense when you read it now? 
hopefully you understand what's going on. I want to look at it really fast because there's a reason, and I'll explain that in a second. Number one, he asked the first question. The first question basically is, how long are you going to wait? God, your timetable doesn't make a lot of sense. Either you're not listening to me, God, or you just don't care about my problem. Is history really under your control, God? And if I can't trust you with today and this thing that I'm facing, can I really trust you with tomorrow? This is the first question. The second question he's asking is this. How long are you going to ignore your people? How long will you just have this indifferent silence? You're just silent, God. You're not saying anything. It just doesn't make sense. I'm sitting in my room praying and you are not listening to me. You're you're indifferent. You promised peace to your covenant children. And we're your covenant children. How could you be silent and not listen to your own children? That's the second question he asks. Third question. How long are you going to tolerate what's going on? Chaos abounds, and how long are you going to tolerate this? Your sense of justice doesn't make any sense. In the balances of right and wrong, God, you seem to be more wrong than you are right. How long are you going to tolerate? In other words, if you're so holy, God, if you're so holy, then why would you want me to even look at evil? Did you catch the words he used? You make me look at evil. He's wrestling with God. Got an evil king, evil people, evil conquerors, evil religious practices. There's just rot everywhere. And then he asked the fourth question, how long will you be hypocritical? Because not only your timetable doesn't make sense and you're silent and your justice doesn't make sense, but you are actually endorsing evil. Did you catch that at the end? Where he says, evil is wrapping around me. In other words, God, you're the one that's promoting evil. You're the one that seems to be propping these people up. They're doing wicked and you reward them. God, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Can I ask you a question? You know the question coming. Have you ever asked these questions? Has chaos ever hit you in an issue, in an area of life where you're just like, God, what are you doing? I've only got so many months. Why have you not fixed this? God, I, I, I think that you should be doing that because you're holy, but you seem to be letting the evil occur. And right now, if we're not careful, we'll be like, uh, maybe I asked that, maybe I don't. Let me put in some terms, maybe that'll hit us more home. Have you ever wrestled with this? Hey, they got promoted, God, and I got fired. Or this, why, why is their marriage so happy and mine ended in divorce? God, that person lived, but he and she had to die? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Or maybe this, they are blowing money. I mean, they're blowing money left and right. And I don't have a pot to... They're blowing money left and right. (laughs) And I don't have any money. God, they're smiling and I'm an emotional wreck. They had kids, and I'm barren. They're married, and I'm single. They do stuff and get away with it. I do stuff, and I get caught every single time. You ever wrestle with those questions? God, what are you doing? just doesn't seem to make sense. Well, here's the deal. All I want to do in our remaining time is this. I want to hit the pause button on exegesis. Now, we're going to jump back into it next week. 
We'll go into these verses and we'll dive on into them just a little bit more because the issue is this, and this will be the last thing I pop on the screen here. The issue is, God, you don't make sense. And when we say that, what we're doing is we're saying, how can your character stand so high in light of all the chaos around me? I can't reconcile the two. And so that's the main issue. And we're going to go there. But what I want to do this morning is I just want to pause and go, hey, before we get to that, is it even okay to ask the question, God, why aren't you making sense? And that'll be the next thing on the screen. And not only the next thing on the screen, it'll be also what you see in your handout. It'll be what you see in the foyer. Everything that we do, that is the whole point of the book of Habakkuk. Is, is it even okay to ask God, God, do you make sense? Do you not make sense? And that's where we're going to go throughout our time. The question is, is it okay to be raw with God? Is it okay to just be gritty, nitty-gritty, mean? I, don't you feel like when you feel like questioning God, kind of like um, the Christmas story? You remember the Christmas story um, where Ralphie has had just enough of Scud Farkas? He's had enough of old Scud. And he goes and he tackles him and, and he's just punching him left and right. His mittens are flying everywhere and it's, you know, they kind of mumble the words, so it's ruffle, scuffle, rubber, you know, he's getting at it, and the brother in the background, the brother's like, oh, why, mom's coming, oh, you remember that? Don't we kind of feel like that when we're tempted to question God? We're like, I don't know if I can ask this question or not. So maybe we should just pause there today. Is it even okay to ask that question? Because it doesn't seem very humble, and it doesn't seem very appreciative, but by gosh, we got to be okay with saying but it's real, isn't it? We really want to question them sometimes, don't we? We've got to be okay with saying that. And that's what we're going to look at really fast. And I think that's the point of why God gives us the book of Habakkuk. Because a lot of us are in that stage of life right now. Not everybody. But a lot of us are in that stage of life. And so I want to spend the rest of my time answering that question with just five thoughts. Five thoughts... All right, let me maybe clarify. Let me put, go and put this on record, on the video and everything. This is thus saith the Troy and not thus saith the Lord. <laughs> Let's be clear. All right, these are just some thoughts, but I think it's okay sometimes to ask these questions. Number one, I'd say this. Sometimes it's not super helpful in the midst of chaos to only look at Paul. Don't strike me dead. But sometimes it's not super helpful because this brother is like a Marvel character who has been supercharged with super serum on the road to Damascus. Right? I mean, he, <laughs> chaos abounds and you look at Paul and you're like, I can't measure that cat. I mean, they walk up to Paul and they're like, I'm going to kill you. And Paul goes, ah, lives Christ and dies game. <laughs> and we're like, whoa, we're, I'm going to throw you to the sharks. Ah, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? You know, Paul just seems to have this... Th I mean, he did. I mean, he's walking down the road to Damascus and God blinded the brother and met with him. I think if that moment happened in your life, you'd probably be a little more confident too. Amen? Amen. All right? So sometimes it's not super helpful only to look at Paul. He is 100% on point, but sometimes it's hard to utter the, utter the words, God, your grace is sufficient for me. Because our chaos is hard. All right, so that's number one. Number two. So sometimes for non-apostles, 
it's more helpful to look at somebody like Habakkuk, right? And being able to admit like Habakkuk did, I just don't get it, God. I don't get it. And the reason I say that that is super helpful is because of this. We all hit spots like this in our life, don't we? And we can do one of two things. We can act like it don't exist and just kind of carry on. And in doing so, we become completely dishonest. This is what it looks like. You're really wrestling. You come in here on a Sunday morning, and Andrew's just killing it. Battle belongs to... He's getting the thing, you know. Boom. And you walk in, and you walk in with chaos, and you go, well, everybody else is singing Battle Belongs, so I'm going to jump in too. Battle belongs, and you're dishonest with yourself. Right? And so sometimes... In dishonesty, we can play along with the game and put a smile on our face when we really have a scowl in our soul. So I think sometimes it's okay to ask these questions. I guess what I'm saying is sometimes it's better to not sing with the band and just hit your knees in prayer and to wrestle. Right? Number three, sometimes we can't grow spiritually until we expose our core. We actually stunt our growth if we don't ask the hard questions. When the last time God gut-punched you in the soul, you know what I'm talking about? Well, you're like, oh, that didn't feel good, God. What did you do? What did you do in that moment? Did you turn to the issue? I'm going to go fix that issue to make myself feel better, or did you turn to Him? Did you dive deeper into a vacation? Chaos abounds, and you know what I need? The B-E-A-C-H. Be careful, the beach. I just need a beach. Or did you dive deeper into isolation? Chaos abounds, so I just need to get away from everybody else for just a little bit. Chaos abounds, so I'm going to dive deeper into medicating it somehow. Get my prescription stronger or make the bottle a little bit deeper. I'll figure out a way to fix it. Or when chaos abounds, did you go to vengeance? I'll fix it. I got out. Mm-hmm. I know vengeance is your, but it's also mine, saith the Troy. Did you just kind of go into wild living? You know what? God, if you're not listening anyway, I'll just do whatever I want to do because you don't seem to care. What did you do in that moment? Exposing our core will always force us to ask the question, okay, what does the Scriptures really say in this moment? Any chaos that you have ever experienced is calling you to the pages of God's Word to find out who He is in the midst of your crisis. Is that what you did? Is that what you do? We're so prone to do the other things, aren't we, than to dive into here. Here's the deal, and I'll go to the next thing. We want to ignore this because we want to feel really big about ourselves. And when we come to this with our chaos, we are forced to look at His vastness. And in His vastness, we find out that we're really pretty small, aren't we? We don't like that. But that's what chaos is calling us to. This is why the good old southern boy culture is detrimental to us sometimes. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Pull up your big boy pants. You're in the midst of chaos, and somebody says, pull up your big boy pants. Maybe they only, I only say that to my kids. Or, or, or this, suck it up. You suck it up. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You hear stories like this from your pawpaw. 
Well, when I was growing up, we went out to cut wood one day. And I'm sitting there cutting wood, and my pawpaw chopped my hand clean off. And you know what he did in that moment? He spit tobacco on it. And he told me to keep on going. So you know what I did? I picked up the trailer, and I just pulled the trailer with all of the wood in my bare feet, in the snow, uphill, both ways. Right? No, he didn't. (laughs) No, you didn't. And thank God that our Heavenly Father is not your papa. And that's what we're kind of getting at here. So, we need to expose ourselves to the Lord because sometimes by pulling up our big boy pants and carrying the wood on in the midst of chaos, we miss out on the fact that God's calling us just to sit down and have dinner with Him. And we miss out on a dinner with the Lord because of our mess. Right? So the Scriptures will remind us, He holds every grain of sand in place. He can handle your chaos. The Scriptures remind us that He causes every blink of your eye to occur. He can handle your pain. The Scriptures remind us that He cut every curve of the Grand Canyon. He can handle your complaint that you have. right? And when we bring our rawness to His vastness, 99.9% of the time we will shut up and just start worshiping and that's where He wants us in the midst of chaos. So the things of the earth really do grow strangely dim in the light of His glory. All right, just keep going. Number four. Sometimes pretending to be okay gets you in a further mess than when you started. Can I ask the question, God, what are you doing? That don't make sense. Well, sometimes just pretending that you're okay will get you in a further mess than when you started before GPS, now listen, I know half of our church has no idea what that was like to have to not have Siri. I get it, understand. Several of us understand that. I had a friend of mine who was coming to visit uh, when I was in college, and he stopped at a payphone. Crickets. Right? He stopped at a payphone and gave me a call, and he said, Hey, Troy. He said, I am lost, Jeff Hyman. He said, I'm lost. And how do I get there? And I was like, well, Jeff, where are you? Of course, he's very witty and smart like some of you guys. And he said, Troy, if I knew where I was, then I would not be lost. <laughs> now, at that moment, he could have hung up the phone and act like he had it figured out. Or he could stay on the line with me and we could talk it out. Right? Let's be careful with the Lord. We're in the midst of chaos And we go, I don't know if I can ask you or not. And we can hang up the phone and go, okay, I have it all together. And we find ourselves further lost than we ever were. When the Lord goes, let's just talk about it. Right? Let's get raw. Number five. Sometimes we'll put so much focus on fixing the issues if we don't ask the questions, then we will forget, ignore, whatever the word you want to look for. We won't look at the cross. We'll look at our issue if we don't go to Him. When we go to Him, He compels us to look at the cross. What I'm trying to say is this. When we're tempted to ask, why do I have to face this? It has to be in the same breath as why did Christ have to face that. Gotta be. Did you catch that? 
When we're in chaos and we go, God, what are you doing? It has to be pitted with. And why did that occur? Or we'll miss the whole point of everything. That's why I think we need to bring it to the Lord. Because He calls us always to look at the cross. Doubt and chaos really does lose its power over our lives when the cross gains more control. When we decrease and He increases, everything kind of becomes clear. That's the moment we realize that our chaos is not a punishment for our sin. Now that just freed a lot of people right there. In the midst of chaos, aren't we prone to go, am I experiencing this chaos because I did this, that, and this, and that? Anybody in the room feel that way? Well, he must be punishing me. Believer, all your sin was punished at the cross. Chaos may abound, but it's not because of your sin. It's not because of that thing you did or didn't do. That was nailed to the cross. Either it is finished or it's not finished. Can't be both. Right? So even that alone calls us to look at the cross. So in the moment when we're prone to go, God, the hurt and the pain is real. It's real. Is the moment He looks back at us, if we'll turn to Him, and He'll go, Oh, I know the hurt and pain is real because I felt all of it when I laid your sin on the back of my son. That's why we need to go and ask the question. Well, that's all I got today. As the band comes back up, unbeliever, all the chaos that you're questioning right now really was placed on Christ. That's the point of the gospel. Why would you try to carry it? Why would you try to work your way into a right relationship? Why would you try to fix the chaos? Why would you not just trust in the finished work of the Son? And so, unbeliever, this book is going to call you to that. It's going to call you to realize that you can't answer all the questions. Christ can. And then believer. (laughs) Oh, believer. This book is going to show us that in the end, it'll make sense. It'll show us that your chaos may not make sense today. And it may not make sense tomorrow. But when the dust settles, it'll make sense. And that's our hope. Believer, God's not miffed at you when you want to get raw and gritty with Him. He's not upset at you. As a matter of fact, it may put us in more of a posture of worship than any song these guys will ever crank up. Would you pray with me? What a book, Lord. I mean, I say that, and we haven't even really dove into the verses yet. Um, God, 
That's my prayer. Is that for the individual in this room who right now is, is wrestling with the fact that you don't make sense. God, that today, maybe today will just be for the moment that they're, they're able to just be honest with you and wrestle. They'll, they'll expose their core and your vastness will begin to grow like a mountain in their heart. God, I know that there's a lot of people in this room that that aren't struggling with that question. It's great in their life right now. So maybe I pray that you just call them to be intercessory prayer warriors for others who are experiencing a downtime, knowing that if they're true believers, they've hit this point. And so God, I I pray in this moment while we reflect and while the text speaks to us in a moment of reflection that you just let some people in this room get real that need to get real. I'm just going to end it with that and trust you, Lord.